0: Welcome to BMO Smarter Investing, the new podcast series that's all about helping you make smarter investment decisions. Join top BMO economists Douglas Porter, Sal Guattari, and Jennifer Lee each month as they discuss the latest market developments and insights. Together with a panel of special guests, they'll take a deep dive into topics, trends, and forecasts that are relevant to new and experienced investors.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode in our Smarter Investing podcast series. I'm Sal Gutieri, and joining me is Michael Gregory, Deputy Chief Economist, to discuss the impact of the Russia-Ukraine war on the economy, inflation, and interest rates. The devastating conflict in Ukraine is not only taking an awful human toll on that country, it's reverberating across the globe, driving down stock markets and pushing up commodity prices, as Russia and Ukraine are major global producers of energy grains and base metals, this is driving already lofty inflation even higher and will take a toll on economic growth, not just across Europe, but also here in North America. Michael, uh, we know that by impacting both supply and demand, the war will have uh, a stagflation-like effect on the economy. Can you outline some of the channels whereby uh, we're likely to see both higher inflation and weaker growth in North America?
0: Sure. Thanks, Al. Well, when you think of the sanctions or the direct combat itself, uh, ultimately, it's going to impact or disrupt the supply coming from uh, the region, coming from uh, Russia and Ukraine. And As you mentioned in your opening, that uh, these countries are are major uh, producers and exporters of of a lot of commodities. For example, Russia is the second largest producer of crude oil, the second largest producer of, of natural gas. And that has an impact on energy prices globally. And, 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 and consumers in the United States, consumers in Canada are feeling the impact of those uh, higher uh, gasoline prices. So automatically, this is feeding through to uh, uh, higher inflation. Uh, As as you mentioned before, uh, Russia is a major producer of base metals and uh, precious metals take a little bit longer for that to factor into higher inflation. uh, 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 As these items uh, get get, uh, embedded into various uh, uh, production, but also on the food side, Ukraine is known as the breadbasket of Europe. And and there's a big question mark as to whether or not they're even going to be planting crops this year because of the war. So that has put a lot of upward pressure on global food prices, and we're seeing that here at home in terms of the impact on things like wheat, for example. And that's going to factor into higher food costs uh, here at home. So it's this higher inflation uh, coming through these commodity prices. That's the problem. But, but, But it's also a hit to growth in the sense that now we've got this higher inflation that's an erosion of purchasing power, particularly on the energy side. You know, uh, historically, downturns of the economy have tended to be associated with these spikes we've seen in uh, oil prices, particularly. On top of that, we, we have the sanctions themselves that will affect some U.S. and Canadian companies. But more important than that, we're seeing many private companies uh, bringing in their own sanctions, pulling back on their activities, shuttering their, their, their stores or their production uh, in Russia. And that will have an impact on their revenues and therefore their outlays here at home. And finally, there's confidence. That's going to have a huge impact on the economy. No, no sooner have we you know, dealt with, hopefully dealt with the pandemic, now we have another issue to worry about. So this is clearly going to be a positive for inflation in terms of pushing up inflation, but at the end of the day, quite negative for growth.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like we're going to get hit uh, on several fronts uh, with respect to our economy. And I guess even you know, the fact financial conditions now are, have weakened. The stock markets are down. NASDAQ in a bear market. Credit spreads, corporate credit spreads have widened. So all of that ultimately will take a bit of a toll on the economy, too. Uh, I mean, it's hard to believe now that inflation is already near 8% uh, in the U.S., how much higher can it go? Is there any chance we're going to see a return to the double-digit inflation rates of the nineteen seventies?
0: Well, you know, depending what happens to uh, you know food and energy prices, but particularly oil prices, uh, yes, we could see a month or two, uh, uh, particularly in the United States, where where we could get a, a headline double-digit inflation rate. But to get these kind of inflation rates persisting month after month after month, like we did in the nineteen seventies. I, I don't think that is that is likely. Uh, for the simple reason is that we've learned a thing or two on uh, how to uh, manage monetary policy from those days. One of the reasons why inflation got out of hand in the 1970s, although it was generated by the same factors—supply shock, a uh, food shock—very much similar to what we have today—is the fact back then central banks didn't think they could raise interest rates very fast. They were worried about growth, but now. We know that central banks are, are very quickly, you know, are stepping up, sounding very hawkish. The Bank of Canada has already raised rates on Wednesday. The The, the Fed's going to be uh, raising rates as well. Uh, and and so uh, they're acting much more preemptively. They're actually acting much more quickly. And as a result, they're, they're going to probably dampen demand a lot sooner than what was the case in the 1970s, which will contribute to uh uh, along with the purchasing power uh, uh, sort of being eroded, also affecting demand to to really cool off the economy a lot more quickly than was the case in the 1970s. So I don't think we're headed to that double-digit pace.
1: I guess that's relatively good news on the inflation front. Uh, but again, I, as you mentioned, at the cost of uh, a, a weaker economy, if, if central banks do need to more aggressively raise interest rates just to uh, to tame the inflation beast. So uh, clearly, that's, that's good, not, not great news for the economy. And ho- hopefully, they can manage, though, you know, pull this off without uh, pushing us uh, into a downturn. Now, Canada's uh, economy, I mean, it, we're largely a commodity producer and exporter as well. So there is that, that, that benefit from these higher uh, resource prices. Um, in fact, uh, you know, we're probably likely to uh, outperform the U.S. economy this year, would you say that's correct?
0: I would say yes. That we will probably uh, outperform the U.S. this year, but Canada is not getting off of this scot-free. Now, this run-up we've seen in commodity prices, which is clearly a benefit for for uh, uh, governments' coffers, uh, uh, for some some companies engaged in the industry, their revenues are going to really be boosted. But uh, something is not happening that tends to happen when we get these big surges in commodities: the Canadian dollar is not appreciating uh, uh, the way it would have done in other cycles, which means consumers are feeling the full impact of these higher commodity prices. And therefore, you know, we're gonna get a, a bit of a pullback or at least uh, some dampener on, on real consumer spending because of that. So it's gonna offset some of that uh, benefit the Canadian economy would have normally have gotten when we've had this boom in commodity prices. And why is not the Canadian dollar not sort of impacting by this? Well, one of the key reasons Is that people are very concerned about the global economy. Risk is on the rise. And the reason why we're getting higher oil prices, for example, now is not because the economy is booming, which is normally you would expect to see the Canadian dollar appreciate, is because people are concerned about supply. People are nervous. People are scared. And they'd rather, quite frankly, hold U.S. dollars rather than Canadian dollars. And that's why the currency has has not been appreciating and it's going to take some of the uh, uh, support for the Canadian economy coming from higher commodity prices uh, away uh, from the consumer sector particularly.
1: Yeah, so basically for Canada, then our our consumers are still going to face that drain of purchasing power from the the higher gasoline prices, higher food costs, anything we import, simply because Canadian dollar is not uh, strengthening as it normally does when commodity prices, especially oil, go up. So uh, a bit of a, a tough break for our economy. But I, I presume Canada will, will clearly and probably the U.S. outperform uh, Europe, um, given Europe's uh, much larger trade ties with Russia uh, and dependence on, on Russian uh, energy. Uh, I, I presume it will get hit much harder than North America. Would you say that's Correct.
0: I think that's that's definitely the case uh, we're seeing that in terms of even energy prices such as natural gas prices in Europe have, have risen uh, 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 much uh, higher or faster than they have uh, in, in, in the rest of the world. And, and that is going to be a hit for for uh, Europeans uh, again because they're so reliant on on Russian energy. Now, they, they, there is some offsets, though. This is not just all bad news in the sense from a growth perspective. It's, it's you know, it's a major issue from a trade perspective, a major issue from an energy dependence perspective. But sort of unlike, say, the Fed or the Bank of Canada has started to raise interest rates, it, it, the, the, even though the ECB has been sounding a little more hawkish than they have of late, It doesn't even look like they'll be prepared to be raising rates till you know, well into the fourth quarter of this year. And by that time, both the Bank of Canada and the Fed will have several interest rate increases probably already under their belt. So from that perspective, we do think that, uh, you know, uh, uh, they'll still get the benefit of, of that support. Uh, from monetary policy where it's starting to be taken away the punch bowl taken away in north america it's still being serving the punch in europe that that will be a slight offset the other offset is the fact that governments you know faced with this massive waves of uh, uh, uh people leaving ukraine uh, you know, are, are you know are getting the, all that extra spending that's going to happen in their local economies? Governments are you know, spending on support programs for some of these uh, for these refugees, and that provides a little extra lift for the economy. I mean, for bad reasons, obviously, but but nevertheless, that's a bit of an offset to the the energy hit. So so Europe is going to do worse, but not as badly as you otherwise would think.
1: So Europe basically will be uh, partly insulated by the fact that uh, governments and central banks will kind of keep the policy taps running a bit longer than here in in North America. So providing a bit of a cushion to their uh, economic hit uh, from from this war. Um, I know our department has uh, downgraded uh, the forecast for both the US and and, and Canadian economies this year by about half a percentage point, just to reflect uh, all the negative effects you, you talked about from the war. Uh, but we're still growing at, a, a, I believe, a pretty pretty um, positive rate, uh, 3.5% growth expected for Canada this year, 3% growth for the U.S., so still running above normal. Now, what, you know, there's a lot of talk, though, about uh, a recession, and, and people are starting to get a bit concerned about an economic downturn. What, what are you monitoring as, as far as signs that we could be headed for deeper trouble than just uh, a slowdown?
0: Uh, great great question, Sal. Now, you know, obviously, the mechanism by which you know, uh, the inflation risks will really start to rise if we really start to see consumer spending, consumers beginning to to make those very hard choices, having to pay higher prices for some things, and therefore taking away or or re diverting their, their budgets away from that. So, if we start to see real consumer spending really start to weaken off start to slow it, it's a sign that inflation is eroding purchasing power enough that that the you know it's going to pull down uh, economic activity so that's that's the key thing I'm looking for the other thing is how central banks will be reacting I, I expect them to sound very hawkish but the question is are they going to be raising interest rates very rapidly uh, if I start to see those rates go up I would start to get—I mean, rapidly—I would start to get a little bit nervous too. That that this may end a way in which many other business cycles have ended in the past with central banks tightening just a little bit too much. So the first thing I'll be looking at is that real consumer spending is inflation starting to erode purchasing power enough. The second thing will be the central banks—you know—how are they reacting? And ultimately, you know, I'll be—you know—looking over my shoulder too. What's happening on the confidence level? because at the end of the day, higher food, higher energy prices is the stuff that really makes consumers nervous. And in both counties of the United States, consumers are, are the big driver of economic growth.
1: Yeah, good point. Uh, I guess it doesn't make us more optimistic that uh, one of the U.S. consumer confidence gauges, uh, University of Michigan, is actually down to a decade low. Now, thankfully. Um, the conference board's measure, which seems to put a little more weight on labor markets, is still holding up there, in fact, above normal levels. But you're right. Let's keep our eyes on uh, consumer confidence, consumer spending, and and as you mentioned, uh, central bank uh, rate increases. And I guess you know that other, I guess, pretty good leading indicator of an economic downturn, the slope of the yield curve, because if central banks do need to raise short-term rates too much, we would see uh, the yield curve invert. And that's a pretty, uh, a pretty good sign, um, at least historically, that the economy is headed for uh, for trouble. So it looks like, um, I mean, central banks are caught between that proverbial rock and a hard place, uh, being forced to tighten policy in a climate of downside risks to growth, but upside risks to inflation. When when the latter is already far above their target, how do you see the Fed and the Bank of Canada stick handling through this tricky period? of uncertainty and, and risk.
0: There's no doubt this is a tricky period. And I think what we will see is, is, is a, a kind of a, a two-stage tightening cycle. Uh, the first thing I think both central banks are going to do is, is try to remove the stimulus. Interest rates are very low, uh, uh, still at emergency low levels, still you know adding to the inflation uh, fires uh, as we speak. And therefore take the accommodation away uh, and and which means bringing interest rates up in pretty short order to their neutral levels you know the fed says that's roughly the two to three percent range for the fed funds rate uh, and and the bank of canada's own study suggests between one and three quarters and two and three quarters so move interest rates quickly to that level uh, perhaps uh, very quickly at the outset uh, when we do expect that we will get you know multiple moves meeting after meeting by both central banks then you can maybe slow things down a little bit. But once you get to that level, then, you know, take a breather, you know, to see where things are headed or maybe move rates up a little quickly, then take a breather just to take a lay of the land. So in other words, you know, continue to stick to this, this, this tightening bias, but do so a little bit cautiously. Yeah. You know, and, and firstly, get to that neutral level. And then if inflation is still a problem, then the, the bank has a uh, and the Fed have a very tough decision to make. Do I push rates above their neutral level so they become onerous, so they actually meaningfully start to slow the economy down and potentially increasing the risk of recession? You know, we do think that a lot of these pressures we're seeing now from inflation uh, uh, you know, will will sort of ebb. I mean, a lot of it still has to do with the supply disruptions going all the way back to the pandemic, uh, and those will eventually get remedied. You know, the the, the global microchip shortage is sh- uh, surely uh, 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 is starting to sort of mi- be mitigated. So a lot of these pressures will go away by themselves. Uh, uh, of course, we're not sure what's going to happen with respect to the uh, uh, the Ukraine situation, but you know, we'll probably get a little bit of a reprieve anyway on inflation. And and then the Bank of Canada can really can move in several stages. Uh, but the key thing, they got to be in front of the curve. They have to be talking tough. And I think while they, you know, literally they're going to talk tough and, and carry a medium stick, not a big stick, but a medium stick.
1: Yeah, I like the way you described by uh, that two stage process um, or thinking for central banks. I mean, the first stage, just getting rates back or closer to neutral, normal levels is uh, You know, basically, they could just be on autopilot. They do need to address inflation. And at the very least, they have to raise interest rates, you know, up to that neutral level, close to 2%, maybe a little higher in uh, 2% Canada, a little higher in the U.S. But then there's that second stage, the really tricky part. Do they go above neutral to really tackle or clamp down on inflation and drive it back down perhaps more more quickly to the 2% target? And that's where things would really get uh, pretty... Pretty difficult, and obviously that's where we would start to run the risk of of a deeper economic uh, downturn. Canadian dollar, you've already mentioned that, uh, you know, it's unusually become decoupled from uh, from oil prices. uh, And that's only adding, you know, thrust to some of the inflation pressures here in Canada, certainly those uh, at the pump. Um, You know, it's pretty rare through history for the the currency to, uh, to decouple like that. What do you what do you suspect is really holding back the Canadian dollar and what is your outlook for, for the loony uh, say over the next year?
0: Well, I, I think as I, as I alluded to before, I think a lot of it has to do with the perception of risk. Uh, it's definitely, as the traders would call it, risk off. Uh, there's nervousness in the stock market and uh, there's nervousness in in, in commodity markets. And, and in that kind of environment, people and investors, they tend to move to the so-called you know, safe havens or, or, or the most liquid markets. And that tends a lot to be you know, the U.S. dollar and, 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 for example, U.S. Treasuries. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, so, so, so we're thinking that if we're going to see the Canadian dollar kind of move a, a meaningfully stronger uh, beyond its current range, uh, we're going to have to see some of that uh, worry in the global economy move from you know Defcom four to DEFCON three or something like that. There has to be a, a little bit of you know. Obviously, I I think the the the, the situation in Ukraine is going to have to remedy itself or at least stabilize, uh, and and that that may help the Canadian dollar, which quite frankly, fundamentally. You know, it has a lot of great supports. Canada, you know, has a, uh, a you know, a, a current account uh, 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 surplus again, and, and that tends to be very positive for currencies o- over the long haul. The Bank of Canada is raising rates, not, perhaps no faster, but no slower uh, than than the Fed, at least at this stage. And that should at least, you know, provide some, some modest support, uh, com- com- particularly compared to, to other, other countries and so i do think that we will probably see the canadian dollar you know over the course of the next year trade to the stronger side of its recent range it may not really break out of, of that range i doubt we're going to see you know anything close to 80 cents anytime soon uh us uh, but i think you know we can get something solidly around 79 or so uh by the end of the year i think that th- th- that is very doable in this environment And
1: i guess the canadian dollar's you know actually perform not bad against Pretty well every other currency except the U.S. dollar. So you're right; it's it's basically a safe haven um, uh, push on the greenback that's kind of keeping our currency down. But as you mentioned, the, the outlook is probably still somewhat favorable once we get by this period of of uncertainty. Well, thanks, Michael, for uh, the insightful comments. Uh, I guess one overriding message is that uh, the outlook for the economy, inflation, interest rates, and, and the Canadian dollar will be driven by developments uh, in Eastern Europe. Uh, so investors do need to uh, monitor the situation very closely. Thanks everyone for joining us and take care.
0: Thanks for listening to BMO Smarter Investing, a podcast brought to you by BMO Investor Line. We're here to empower Canadians to invest smarter. For more information about how you can start investing today, visit bmo.com slash online investing. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get the latest episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts.